I'm going to change some things up to the second service here. I didn't do a very good job the first service. You guys say, you didn't? No, I didn't do it. I'm going to do a lot better job this service. I was going to change some things here. Go with me to Psalm 61. Let me give you some thoughts as you're turning there. First of all, in Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9, it says, Do not put your trust or confidence in man, nor trust or put your confidence in a prince. And so, guys, the, the thing is I'm really going to try to push today is our confidence must be in God. The things of heaven, let, let God saturate us. Now, if you're going through dilemmas in your life right now where you're operating in fear, you're operating in things that you really don't understand, listen to what Psalm 61 verse 1 says. Hear my cry, O God, and attend to, the, to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you, and when my heart is overwhelmed, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And so right here, the, the author of this, he, he lets us know that as his heart's overwhelmed, he said, Lord, hear my cry. And he said, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. And listen to what he goes on to say. For you, O God, have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. And so once again, it, it shifts my trust off of man, and it, and it shifts it back onto Father God. And God likes that. Now, in saying that, go with me to, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to talk here a little bit this morning about uh, the shelter from the storm, about how God wants to move in our lives, and I believe in order to do that, He's going to do it right here through the church, the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus. But I believe the church must be healthy. What is the church, guys? The church isn't this building. The church is made up of people like you and me, but we've got to be right with God. We've got to get our lives in order. So here we are in, in Matthew chapter 5. Now, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to look at the start of the Sermon on the Mount in, in uh, verse 5, or chapter 5, and then we're going to move to chapter 7. Matthew 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Now, I'm going to stop right there. I encourage you on your own. Read chapter 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew. And read it, and read it, and keep reading it until it gets on the inside of you. Now, Jesus starts here, and he's getting ready to give us these eightfold declarations called the Beatitudes, and they mean literally the blessing, and you're going to see every one of these, he starts out with the word blessed, but there's an explanation for the blessing that I believe he wants us to get a hold of these. Now in verse 3, he gives us the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what, we're to welcome those ones who are poor in the spirit, in verse 3, or 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now that could mean ones that mourn with the loss of a, a loved one, a family member. But also it can mean this, that there becomes deep sorrow on you for repentance. Now I don't know if you've ever repented in your life where you had deep sorrow. It felt like almost that something had, had died with you and it caused the mourning to come on the inside. I've had that, guys. 
I've had that several times in my life where I went to the Lord and I repented of the sin of my life and it was like I was mourning. It was a hurt. And you know, maybe some of you aren't as good as a sinner as I was. Maybe you are. And I'm going to tell you, when we repent for God, there ought to be something that takes place on the inside. It moves us. Verse number five. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, the weak, or the meek does not mean the weak. The, the meek, actually, it means a strength that it comes from humility and self-discipline. He said, blessed are the meek. Verse number 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And the cause of, of persecution is loyalty to righteousness. Now, you can go back in there and look at every one of these. I don't believe Jesus meant for these to be common sense sayings, sentimental. I don't believe none of these were take it or leave it. I believe each one of us were directed right here as our bill of rights as, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven where we begin to understand these are the values that Jesus tells me and you to live. I believe these were sent almost to shock us. To look and say, I don't do that, but i got to start doing that. Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart. You can go over and look at them and look at them. Now, this is how Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount. I believe it's important for us not only to read these, but to live them. You want the blessings of these? He gives us the explanation how. Now, turn a couple pages to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and this is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the conclusion here, guys, he gives us three successive metaphors. And in these three, I believe they were designed to fill me and you with hope, but also that we understand the realities of our time of life while we're here on earth. You realize this, guys? We only get one crack at this thing called life. And what I do or don't do with my time here upon earth will determine my eternal destination. Heaven or hell. Now, the reason I'm talking about this, guys, is I believe Jesus is wanting to get his church in order. And we're going to keep adding to this this morning until you see what I'm talking about. But look what he says in the very first one, starting in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now, when Jesus talks about this, he gives us the answer to start out with immediately in verse 13. Look what he says. Enter by the narrow gate. He's telling us how to do this. And when you look at this here, guys, he describes two roads or two gates. It's either this way or it's either this way. 
In other words, there's only two options. That's the same with heaven and hell. Now he says in here, this first road is wide. It's broad. It's easy. And if you'll know what he said, there are many on it. You know what that tells me? It's very, very popular. But note the end. It is the road that leads to what? Destruction. We must understand this as believers, guys. Just because we have a society that says it's okay to do this, or a society that votes on certain things, guys, I'm going to tell you right now, I better get a hold of the kingdom of God. I don't care, and I'm not putting any people down. I love people. But just because certain states legalize same-sex marriage doesn't mean God liked it. Now, this is real popular in our society. Well, you Christians, you ought to just love people. You know what? I love people. But you know what? I'm going to honor God before I'm going to honor people. And this is where we got to get back to God. And I'm not slapping anybody. I'm not perfect. The second gate that he talks about, now look at this. Because narrow is the gate. He talks about this way of life. It's narrow. And if you'll note there, he said, it's difficult. It's hard. You know why I think he's telling us it's difficult and it's hard? Because he said, few find it. You know what that tells me? It's not real popular. But he ends up saying, it is the way to life. Now we've got to understand what Jesus is telling us here. This is big. That you know what? I may go against the flow of society. But I'm going to put the things of the kingdom of God above people. What does that mean? I fear God more than I fear man. Thank you. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Now, do you think that he would warn us about this if it wasn't a possibility? No, he's warned us. This stuff's going to happen. And he says, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Now, the fruits he's talking about, guys, isn't money, isn't fame or popularity. The fruits he's talking about is their character, their, their integrity, their lifestyles, their influence, but also the things they teach on. It is very, very important. That you understand this book right here, okay? That's why every Sunday you come here, I encourage you to bring your B-I-B-L-E. And if you don't bring one, we're going to give you the opportunity for you to have one. You know why? Every one of us in this, we've got to believe what the Bible said. Not what men, not what this man says. I want you to see the Bible. I want you to read it. And so now he goes on and he asks them some questions. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes? No. Figs from thistles? No. Now, he's getting ready to get into the second uh, metaphor here. Look what he says. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Now listen. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Once again, guys, it's either a good tree or a bad tree. 
He didn't say there's a neutral tree. He said it's either going to be this way or it's going to be that way. Now, look what he says in verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So once again, Jesus ends this metaphor with some consequences of the type of fruit I lived with here on the earth. Now remember the first one, he said, it's a road that leads to destruction. This second one, he informs us, it is a place of fire. Not good. So he's telling each one of us, we've got a choice, but I believe really the big thing in here, Jesus is telling, there's hope. You can live with victory, but he's also informing me and you of the realities of life. What do you mean? Guys, these things right here that Jesus talks about aren't little bedtime stories. It's not once upon a time and we live happily ever after. There's a consequence for how we live on this place called earth. Now, verses 21, 22, and 23. Maybe this will be the first time in your life you've ever read these. Maybe this is the thousandth time you've read it. I can honestly say every time I read these verses, and it's a wake-up call to me. I mean, it's almost like these scriptures just jump out of the page on me. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So he tells me right here, there is some self-deception from a mere verbal confession of Jesus as Lord. Is that not what it says? He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So what that means is just because we have confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life, that doesn't automatically give me a ticket into heaven. According to what Jesus says. Because look what he ends with in verse 21. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You know what doing the will of the Father in his heaven? Is that I obey. That I begin to live a life that obeys God. And one thing in my life that really helps me. When I live with a fear of God. I fear God more than I do man. So he tells us that. Now look what he goes on to say in verse 22. Many. It's important that you see that word. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And so he tells us right here, these people are self-deluded. I think every time I read this, I've done every one of those things that that verse says. And he said, in that day, many will say to me, but Lord, Lord. Now look how he ends in verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. And so you know what this tells me? We as believers... We can know about Jesus, but it's one thing to know about him, and it's another thing to know him. And he tells us this, and he says, depart from me, 
You who practice wickedness, you who practice lawlessness. The Amplified says, you who disregarded my commandments. And so right here, guys, my point in telling each one of us is, is I believe there needs to be a wake-up call to the church. That, guys, we don't come in here and just sing kumbaya and act like everything's going to be okay. See, we've had the mentality as the church, everybody's going to go to heaven. We're not. We're not? No, we're not. And you know what some people would say? Well, I don't know how loving God could send anyone to hell. He doesn't. It's because we decline him. We don't receive what he did. And we choose not to obey. So you see what the Lord is doing right here? He's causing us to go to higher grounds. He's causing us to analyze our own life and say, do I know him? Do I know? And see, I ask myself, that: do I really know him? See, it's easy for me to come in here and play church. I can talk in Christianese. What's that? Oh, hallelujah. Glory. We can talk about the name of Jesus. But do I know him? Do I really know him? Now, he gets into the third metaphor here in verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be likened to foolish men who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Once again, if you'll notice something here, there were only two builders. One who built his house on the rock, and one who built his house on the sand. Now, I want you to notice in there a couple things that pertain to both of them. Number one, both of them heard the word. You can go back and look in there. It said they heard the word of God. Number two, none of them, either one of them, were exempt from the wind the floods, and the rain. The thing that separated them was the one who heard the word. It said that he heard it and he obeyed it because his house was built on the rock. And when the winds, the storms, the rain came, his house withstood it. But the other one, he heard the word, but he did not do the word. And it said when the storms of life came, Great was its fall. And so once again, Jesus is letting me and you know the realities of this thing called life. See, it's one thing for me to preach the word. It's one thing for you to hear the word. But it's a whole other thing for me to obey the word. And I can try to get around the word any way I want. That's why important. I see what the Bible said. And I said, Lord, I'm going to do the word of God to the best of my ability. And when I blow it, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to repent. I've said this to you guys many times. If I'm not an example to you by the way I live, I'll be an example to you by the way I repent. Do you repent? I repent quite often. You know why? Because I still got a flesh. And I still make mistakes. But Jesus right here, guys, 
he's telling us some things. Now, I want you to go with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 4. Isaiah, chapter number 4. And as you're turning there, did you see right there? The person that hears the word and obeys the word, there's a shelter for him in the storms of life. Now, you know what that tells me? Every one of us in this room are going to go through some storms. There's going to be some rain, there's going to be some floods, and there's going to be some wind. And when the storms of life come, I hold on to the Word of God. And there's a shelter. Now, when Jesus started talking about all this that he was talking about there, the realities of life and the realities of the kingdom of God, eight centuries before that, there was a prophet named Isaiah. And on three different occasions, he prophesied about the, the shelter from the storm. I want you to see these three before we move on. Isaiah chapter 4, verse number 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. Now, the branch of the Lord that Isaiah is prophesying about refers to the coming Messiah, which was Jesus. Jesus hadn't been born yet, and so he's telling them, this is the coming Messiah. Look what he goes on to say about it. And the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the moral filth of the daughters of Zion. And purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment, by the spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her symbols a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering. There will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from heat and for a place of refuge and for a shelter from the storm and the rain. Remember Jesus said upon this rock, this is what he's talking about. Jesus, guys, will become our shelter. Look over a couple books to Isaiah chapter 25. I encourage you to read every one of these passages in different translations. You will see stuff jump out of these verses. Isaiah chapter 25. Now remember, Isaiah is prophesying about this. Verse number 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you, I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. For you have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt, therefore strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you, for you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in distress, and a refuge from the storm. Now I keep repeating this guys. Because I believe we're coming into a time in our life. Where the winds, the floods, the rains. Are on the increase. And I don't say that to put fear in people. I'm just telling you right now. I believe we're, we're, we're headed this way very fast right now. A couple pages over. The last one that Isaiah prophesied was in Isaiah 32. Verse number 1, 
Behold, the king will reign in righteousness, and the princess will rule with justice. A man will be as a hiding place from the wind, and a cover or a shelter from the storm or the tempest. So he's telling us right here, the king that lives with righteousness, the prince that lives with righteousness, a man that lives with righteousness, he will live, and because of that, there'll be a shelter from the storm. Now, this is what Isaiah prophesied back all those years, and Jesus talked about that. Now, I want to end with this this morning. Go back into the New Testament to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter number 16, and I I want you to see some things here that I believe this is part of the reason we as the church must get on that road, the narrow road. We must start having good fruit in our life, and we must obey the Word of God. Now, in Matthew 16, Jesus begins to ask his disciples, and he said, boys, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say you're a prophet, some say you're a priest, some say you're John the Baptist. Now, I want you to look real closely in Matthew 16, verse 15. Then Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? But who do you say that I am? And that's the the million dollar question for every one of us in here today. Who do you say that he is? Not... Not who your great-grandmother said, grandpa, not who your brother or your mother said, but who do you say that I am? And see, each one of us, we've got to ask ourselves, who is Jesus to me? I mean, we, we could poll people all over Lubbock today, and you know what some people would say? He's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God. But you know what others would say? He was just a prophet. He was just a man. And you know what some people would say? I don't have a clue who Jesus is. But who do you say that he is? Now get this. Verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now this is who Peter said he is. And look at Jesus' response when Peter said that. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so when Jesus becomes the Lord and Savior of my life, I identify my life in him. And there's blessings that come. And he said this, Blessed are you. This is where we got to get to. Verse 18. And I also say to you, That you are Peter. You're a man. A disciple of mine. And on this rock. I want you to note this. And on this rock. I will build my church. And I believe this with all my heart guys. That everything that Jesus did on this earth. Is now invested in the church. The church isn't this building. The church is people. But Jesus said, I will build my church on this rock. This sure foundation. And when you look at what Jesus said, I will build my church. The Bible's very clear 
that the church is the bride of Christ. There is a, a covenant of marriage, and it's found in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25, that he describes the covenant that he has with the church is the same covenant that a husband has with his wife. And he said there in, in Ephesians 5.25, first of all, he said, Christ loved the church and gave himself. It says in verse 27, it was a glorious church. In verse 29, he says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but he loved it and cherished it just as Christ loved the church. So what we got to understand here is Jesus paid a huge price for the church. He died for the church. So now that everything that Jesus died for, he's transferred it to the church, to me and you. And look what he ends with in verse 18. And he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against America. It's not what he said. He said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. The reason I'm saying that right now, guys, don't put your trust in America. And don't put your trust in people. Put your trust in the living God because I believe with all my heart that when the church, me and you, start living the Sermon on the Mount, the church will become the shelter in the time of storm. That there are going to be people that are going to come flocking in here, guys. And, and every background, every color of skin, of every denomination, every people are going to come in here. And they're looking for a people, a church, that's warm, that's loving, that's kind. You know, I think about the world. Why would the world want to come to a place that's critical, that's judgmental, that's condemning? And so my point in saying all this, guys, is Jesus is getting his church ready because I believe there is a harvest that's coming unlike any other time we've seen. I believe when people start putting their trust in other people, in America, in a government, guess what's going to happen? They're going to be let down. I'm going to tell you right now, if you put your trust in me, I'm going to let you down. You know why? I'm a human. That's why, guys, we've got to trust in God. And I believe uh, uh, not only America, but I believe the church's greatest days are before us. And God's looking for people that will say, okay, Lord, we're going to live the narrow road. We're going to be people that's going to have good fruit. How do I have good fruit? Am I merciful? Am I the peacemaker? Am I the one that, that encourages? Am I the one that will stand up for righteousness? And when that happens, guys, I'll tell you, things are going to begin to happen. Stand on your feet with me here today. I believe.